Hello, and welcome to Managing Failures, a podcast to discuss failures made by managers, how they learn from them, and how they corrected for them. Today, my guest is Mike Stern. Hello, Mike. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, depending on your time zones. <laughs> so, Mike, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your current role? Yeah, uh, current role is I am a, a SDM at Amazon for a team within Alexa. Um, I manage uh, six folks spread across the country, mostly centralized in the West Coast and the East Coast. Um, been been at it for about 10 months now with Amazon, but before that, I've been a manager, engineering manager for like, in a formal position for about six years before that and at a couple different places, most uh, most representative at IBM, a weather company um, position, uh, which uh, is probably the most of the experience that I'll be talking about tonight. But uh, yeah, uh, before that, Java engineer for most of the time, you know, formal and informal tech leads, usually gravitating more towards the interpersonal side of things than the deep dive algorithm side of things. But I uh, love continuous integration. Um, we'll get into a little bit of DevOps here and there, but uh, yeah. That's a little bit about me. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's uh, quite the quite the history you have there, Mike. I'm sure you have a lot of <laughs> a lot of good stories here. So, uh, with that said, let's uh, actually reach in and, and see kind of what you wanted to bring to the plate. I, I guess my next question for you is: uh, What is an example of a management failure that you experienced? Yeah, yeah, I, I really appreciate the the kind of format that you have, both in your written form and your podcast. So I, I appreciate you know being able to be transparent, show some vulnerability, and you know hopefully uh, bring some folks along uh, so they don't fall in the same same gopher holes that I've fallen in. So uh, yeah, I, I think I was thinking about this as as we were kind of chatting about topics, and and one thing that I think is really an interesting. Uh, area that I hadn't really thought about formally until after the situation happened was uh, when I was at, at the weather company, I was leading a product team. I was uh, started out as a senior engineer on the team, moved into scrum mastering responsibilities, eventually became an engineering manager. Um, we were building out a, a kind of a, a, a new product. It was a centralization of a bunch of legacy systems and, uh, was kind of there from the from the ground up and so what eventually happened was though i realized that once it was pointed out to me that i really had three hats in one head and i'll get into a little bit more about what that means but uh because of my familiarity with the product i i found myself you know kind of becoming the the product manager and i had a lot of communications with external stakeholders you know folks who were adopting our software or our services uh in order to retire the legacy services that we uh that we had replaced or, or brought to market um in a different form and so i ended up having a lot of product conversations and so you know it was technically not a, a an offering for the b2b side of things or for the b2b b2c side of things we used it in digital properties like weather.com and the mobile app, the Weather Channel mobile app. Um, but mostly it was working with internal stakeholders. On the B2B side, though, we had we had a whole bunch of, um, of offerings built on it, but no real strong product management leadership from, from those offering managers. So that role kind of fell to me. Um, in addition to that, I kind of mentioned that I grew into an engineering manager role. Um, and so essentially, you know, the three roles that we're talking about here is I was product manager, 
scrum master and engineering manager. And, uh, I don't know if it was an intentional thing or things that I just kind of gravitated into due to need or skill set, but, um, it worked really well. It was, it was a great, great setup. We had lots of success. We had great adoption. We had, you know, really high performance system. Um, but, uh, that was a kind of a unique situation. And as my management responsibilities grew, uh, I kind of fell into that same model without the, without all the, the history, uh, of growing up with the team. Sure. So, so yeah, why don't we get in there? That, that, that kind of sets the background, sets the table a little bit. Um, and I can talk about kind of some of the, some of the downsides of that setup, but did you have any questions about kind of the, the premise? No, nothing really about the premise. I can I can imagine that, and I'm sure you'll talk a little bit more about this here in the in the, a little bit. But um, I know that uh, during one of my blog posts, I, I speak kind of about the whirlwind, right, and and trying to stay focused. And I, I can't I have to imagine that that would kind of trying to wear those three hats would would try to pull, kind of pull you three different directions and might um, kind of prevent you from trying to keep that focus and. and kind of move forward with your team. But uh, I'm assuming you're, you're probably going to talk a little bit about that. So why don't, yeah, why don't you go ahead with that? That's uh... yeah. Yeah. So like the focus was definitely an issue, you know, I, I, uh, from a, from a product manager standpoint, I was able to kind of, you know, I always joked about uh, walking around with a bushel basket and collecting requirements from everybody I could talk to, and, you know, and that's, that's how backlogs are born. Right. right. And you kind of start to form a product vision based on, you know, uh, unifying themes or like visionary things around scale, latency, concurrency, that type of thing where mm-hmm. you, 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 you may need to be aspirational, not it. And it can't, it may just be one customer who needs it. And there you have to kind of go, but you know, I won't get into the whole, the whole responsibility of being a product manager, but, um, it was one of those things that I really enjoyed. And so to me, like, you know, I probably wasn't the best product manager in the world, but it was fun and I enjoyed it. And I think it was, uh, you know, rewarding for, for, for all parties involved, you know, as an engineering manager, it was my first formal engineering manager role. I had a really good mentor. Um, thanks Chris Hill. Um, and Andrew Larson, uh, they're both, uh, I, I hope we can call out folks by name, but oh, yeah. uh, they're, Absolutely. they're kind of my yin and yang. Uh, we, we, we jokingly called Andrew our Spock, you know, he was all about logic reason and he always had a plan before, before he needed it. And, uh, Chris Hill was more of my, I don't know, my spiritual guide, I guess. And, uh, he, he and I are, uh, probably a little bit more alike on that side of things where, you know, uh, the focus is on the people and the plan will come at some point when it, when we need to worry about it. So, but they were both really highly influential and uh, great mentors, uh, through my early years of formal engineering management. So, you know, a couple, a couple really great book suggestions from Andrew, a couple book suggestions from, from Chris Hill and, uh, the, the people side of things kind of came to me pretty well. And IBM had great structures around, you know, um, talent evaluation, um, promotion paths, all that kind of things. So, you know, falling into that was, was, I felt like I had really good structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scrum master thing, like that was, that was always a way of just kind of doing a little bit of like, you know, herding cats, keeping cadences. Uh, we always did scrum, but it was scrum, but you know, a couple <laughs> things here and there were a little bit non, non-procedural, but Sure. Generally, we got things done, right? Moving, moving things across the board. So, yeah, um, yeah. So the so the focus was, 
was a lot, but I also was kind of up for it because it was really rewarding and I had good support. The, the, the biggest gopher hole that I guess I fell into was um, some of the power dynamics around it. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't an issue with that original team. It was, it was really pointed out with the, the, the second team that I started to kind of play that the triumvirate, triumvirate role with. Um, and, uh, you know, trust is, trust is hard earned and easily lost as, as a famous Amazonian once said. Um, and, uh, I, I realized that I hadn't earned that trust. And so I, I didn't have the ability to execute in those three roles as efficiently or as effectively as I had with the original team. So, yeah. So the, you know, the, the, the power balance was, on two different fronts. So the, the first front is, you know, with a scrum master and a product manager that like that they're kind of like a, a healthy tension, right? So mm-hmm. you're always being challenged uh, by your product manager. They always want more. They want, you know, ship, 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 optimize for speed of delivery, that type of thing. Whereas the scrum master is oftentimes, you know, plays the role of protecting the team, negotiating scope, defending that scope, sword and shield. I always used to joke, um, you know, Scott Wagner, another, another former mentor, uh, would always joke about block and tackling, but he was a walk on at UW. So that, that only made sense. But that said, um, when the, when the, when the roles are in the same person, you don't know which hat you're the, they're wearing at the time that they're, they're making their points. And so you kind of lose that healthy tension unless you're, unless you you know, really are mindful of it. And so that was, that was one of the biggest downsides to, to having those three roles. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I guess I've never really thought about that in that kind of context before. I've never really been faced with that situation, but I, I can imagine that, you know, trying to be the kind of the yin and the yang there where project managers really try to push for, as much as they can get while your scrum masters and your engineering managers are really there to try to protect. I, I I can't imagine that would be, would be an easy kind of transition between those two, those two hats as you kind of, kind of spoke to them. Yeah. And I think the, the, the place that that was like kind of biggest uh, or most felt um, as far as like a gap uh, or a deficiency was really around short-term, long-term thinking, right? Sure. So shipping, shipping is often a short-term, short-term win, right? You get, get that, get that first version out and we, you know, we'll have a fast follow and fix all the wrongs of the world, which, uh, sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't depends on focus, depends on success. So, right. you know, that was, that was really where, where we we're focused on a couple of different, um, products and getting them launched and, Sometimes, unless you had a really strong sword and shield against the product ship, um, you you'd really not ever pay down that technical de- debt or backlog sure. uh, for things that you compromised on. Which it really builds resentment with the team, and I, I've seen that resentment take lots of different shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's certainly uh, you know a way to lose a team, as far as like mentally, spiritually. Um, Folks have pride in their work. Yeah. A lot of folks view themselves as craftsmen, and I don't begrudge them that. Um, and you know, promises of a future better state, if they don't ever come, you uh, you have the ability to lose a team. 
and uh yeah so it's sad when that happens and uh you know <laughs> speaking from personal experience i i've had some very hard conversations around that and uh you know just just one more or yeah just this time only go so far so right yeah so how do you how do you get around that or, or what did you was there anything you specifically did to try to rectify that or to try to get out from underneath those three hats? Were you able to hand off or how did you kind of deal with that in the end? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, on the, on the B2B side of things, we did technically have an offering manager Mm -hmm. and that offering manager was, uh, let's just say non-participant in, in scrums uh, Mm. or scrum cadences. And so like essentially the reason why we had that stand in, uh, was because we had to proxy that role. We did technically have a uh, an offering manager, and they did have real customers, real contracts, real you know, <laughs> real responses that they were forming uh, for for getting the deals done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, without that day to day touch point, like the it was more of a you know a hub and a spoke conversation. So I. They would talk with me. I would represent them in Scrum. One thing that we did was um, we tried to represent um, with an internal product product owner. So we, we had a developer who was interested in playing that role. Uh, and another another team, we we delegated the Scrum mastering responsibilities to someone on the team. You know, with the intention of rotating. Uh, I think we might have rotated once in a couple of couple of months, but you know, ultimately, kind of some of the procedural stuff stuck and landed. So, um, those are different strategies, you know, essentially like playing as a proxy, you know, being able to separate that out a little bit more formally is, is, is really a, a luxury if you have it. Um, but it also helps to kind of like represent that scope negotiation that you're intended to have when doing the refinement and, and planning, uh, you know, parts of the, of the scrum. Sure. So it sounds a lot like, what kind of ended up happening was more role setting. Uh, I mean, I, I think I've, I've talked a little bit about Tuckman's model, which, uh, you yeah. know, not to get too in the weeds here, but um, mm-hmm. kind of that forming, norming, uh, storming kind of philosophy. And I guess kind of where I, where it sounds like it, it kind of really, you had to lead your team towards is, is trying to establish the difference between those roles between individual um, resources and individual actors. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I struggled a little bit with that, uh, right off the bat as well. Um, where people just don't quite understand where their role exists in the team. And it kind of can lead to some, some issues trying to, uh, kind of forward work. So no, I, Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, and you know there are definitely situations um, and teams that that kind of support the blended model, where you literally are playing three three roles in one person or three hats in one head. Um, and you know, so from a from a like a coping or a, um, a, a strategy around like compensatory uh, strategy around like you know making up for that lack of of spread, you know. Ooh. I had a team member who joked like you could you could literally wear different hats during the meeting, and swap them uh, just to give a visual cue. Um, but like all ultimately like that you know getting aside the kind of like you know jokey side side of things, um, 
acknowledging it, talking about it and saying, you know, as a product owner, I, I really want to challenge you here, but as a scrum master, like I understand, you know, and just literally using it, being explicit about it. Um, if you're not able to actually split the role into two people, uh, just like acknowledge it as a thing. And that's, uh, you know, Tuckman's Tuckman's is a good framework for having some of those discussions and, and, you know, essentially saying, Hey, let's acknowledge these things as they're happening. These are normal phases and they're nonlinear. I also, I appreciated the fact that you kind of called that out and said, yeah, this is sometimes you regress, you know, I had a former colleague who always said, uh, teams are impotent. You add a person, you lose a person. It's a new team each time. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, sometimes you have to go through all the phases. Sometimes you can skip through other phases depending on, you know, the, the impact of one or two folks coming or going, but, uh, just acknowledging that, you know, processing through it and realize like, okay, you know, this, this is a thing it's okay to be talking about it. And if I'm crossing a line, if we have a tenant set up tenants, um, and if I cross that line or tenant call me out because that's, it's a thing and it should be acknowledged. So. Yeah. And it's really, at least when I ran into it, it was very interesting trying to be cognizant of that. I mean, the team had been, at least when I took over the team, they'd been together for quite some time. So losing a couple team members, I wouldn't have thought would have really played havoc on roles, responsibilities, and and that kind of feel. But honestly, it's... you know, just losing a couple team members can really just completely disrupt the apple cart, really have you striving to have to reestablish those norms. And um, that is just not, not something you're always cognizant of or not something you're always aware of. So trying to go through that process is really, it's really unique. It's really interesting for each team um, trying to take that on and, and trying to, trying to get through that. So yeah, that, I mean, wearing multiple hats, I can only imagine would, would really kind of heighten that or exponentially kind of lift that up uh, because no one really quite understands your role at any one at any given time. And all roles are really important, right, in order to kind yeah. of progress work. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the other, the other aspect of this that we really didn't talk about, which was like as a formal leader, like a, a formal leader, uh, you know, there's always the, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, horseman, Tom horseman, the effective manager, which is a great podcast series and the book mm-hmm. series. If you haven't heard of them, I, I recommend, you know, listening to the basics and, uh, I think it's six podcasts, uh, really good spend of hours. They, they focus on one-on-ones on asking more from your team, you know, just a couple of really good, solid principles. Uh, I think it was him in one of his podcasts or book that said, as a manager, you have across your forehead emblazoned. I am, (laughs) I'm your manager. I can fire you at any time, which is not, it's not an ego trip. It's a thing that reminds you as a manager that it's hard for folks to separate out that role power from you as a friend, you as a scrum master, you as a product owner. And, uh, you know, without a, a serious level of trust, that invisible gun, as they say, comes into play where um, do this or else is the unspoken threat, right? And it may not be as severe as I'm I'm your manager, I can fire you at any time. But it could be, hey, you know, performance reviews are coming up. You're giving me a hard time on this. 
you know, a, a, a less than a less than honest manager could, you know, have repercussions, whether it's a it's intentional or uh, a, a subtle uh, influence that, you know, based on recency anchoring or other other fallacies of, of people that, uh, you know, acknowledging that and realizing that 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 uh, that role power follows you wherever you go, regardless of what you're talking about, what your role is at that time. Um, that was something that someone pointed out to me. And uh, it just blew my mind, honestly. It was like, yeah. yeah, like, oh, no, I was a developer, and now I'm just a manager, and nothing has changed. It, that's, it, it doesn't. You cross a line, and it's, it's hard. It's not impossible to go back, but it's, it's something that you just have to keep in the forefront of your mind, I guess. So, Yeah, I think um, – I'm trying to remember. Uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott, a hmm. uh, mm-hmm. great book. Yep. Great and book. she kind of speaks to – Larry Page, right, the uh, Mr. Google himself, and mm-hmm. kind of how he dealt with that. And it's really a culture that you have to build at that point. There's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of teams that really are driven by, I don't want to say fear, but at the same time, kind of uh, retribution for action and trying mm-hmm. to establish that kind of culture of, hey, I want that feedback. You are This is a safe space. You can you know say whatever you will here and I'm going to take it and, and not really, you know, push back on it. Like I, I want that feedback. I, I think that's a hard, hard line to kind of draw on the sand and, and something really hard to push towards people that have never really been in that environment. And, um, but that's a, yeah, no, I think that that's a really interesting call call out. And yeah, it, it really, I mean, just walking into a meeting room, a manager will, you know, completely disrupt or will completely change kind of the, the way that that meeting is progressing. So I think it's really kind of an interesting call out there. Uh, And yeah, another really huge, probably ramification of wearing all those hats all at once. Yeah. And you know, something, something as you said, reminded me of this, it's sometimes as simple as like Slack channels. So inclusion in a Slack channel was something that I found to be an interesting dynamic. So like I had a team who had a Slack, it was our normal team channel. And then they also had a a private channel, which I, they made me aware of, which was normal team channel name, no manager. And it was literally like a, like a really good call out, like, like to say like, you know, as a manager, regardless of your role, like you, you lower the safety of the room by your role power and there's a ways to close the gap of how much you're lowering the safety and that's through trust and and which is earned not granted um but yeah like you know just like temperature or safety of the room um is something that i really focus on too and you know i kind of embrace that and said yeah have, have your space like there's there's conversations that you're having in there that as a product manager or as your scrum master i would love to be a part of but i understand that there's also places that you need to to vent or to you know talk about uh <laughs> tears of the kingdom for for a couple hours uh, right. back and forth and uh you know just to to have some some non-managerial eyes on everything so um, yeah, and I, another. Uh, yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say. I think that's an interesting call out as well, right? Because as much as you want to be friends with the individuals <laughs> you, you are 
yeah. you you're managing at the same time there's there is a level there where you have to take responsibility you have to be willing to kind of give that pushback and you can't completely be you know chummy with people because at the end of the day it comes back to you to be the one who has those hard <laughs> conversations and people need to have that level of safety as well. Um, yep. And in order yep. to kind of establish your trust, I mean, you have to have trust in them as well. So yeah, no, I think yep. that that's, yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely valid. Mm -hmm. I, I had that as well. I know there were channels in the background that I was not, a, I mean, I was aware of, but I was just not a part of. And I never yep. really feel threatened by those. Right. Because I, I had mm -hmm. enough trust in my people that I, I recognize that if there was something that I didn't need to know, they would come to me for it. So no, yeah. I think that's a great call out. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you talk about being friends with too, right? Like simple things like going to lunch. Like I had a couple of folks that I enjoyed, you know, going to lunch with and they liked the same food as I, and you know, I would go probably once a week or once every two weeks out and grab a burrito and, you know, a half hour later, come back or an hour later, come back. And, uh, actually, my director pointed that out and said, Hey, just so you know, like that's a little unbalanced. You only, you only lunch with certain folks. And, you know, to me, I'm a, I'm a universal adapter. I'm going to talk, I'll eat whatever I'll, I'll talk, you know, with whomever. And it's just like, Oh, sorry. That was just a convenience thing. But like, I changed my behavior. I got a lot more Jimmy John's ordered in after that, <laughs> uh, which was fine too. And that, you know, the, <laughs> That's probably a whole nother topic about the, the, the isolation of a, of a manager role that, you know, what do you say? Uh, put you, you, you yell up and are safe down. Uh, you know, that, that has a, that has effect on your resiliency after a while, because, you know, sometimes the camaraderie is, is lost in a middle management role, which, yeah. Anyhow, but we will, we'll save that for another podcast. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, yeah, the, 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 the one, the one other area too, uh, aside from, you know, lunches or talking about the brewers, which was another one too. So like somebody <laughs> said, well, you talk, you talk with, with Jeremy a lot about the brewers. And it's like, well, he likes the brewers. So, you know, we're in the middle of a playoff run. I'm going to spend a little bit of extra time now, but, uh, that's just a fun example, but retros, that's another area where a lot of times as a scrum master, you're responsible for running a, a retro and that has to be a high safety place. Right. And, you know, if you're also the manager, like finding a way to, to have retros either without you or with, with like boundaries around it is another area that, that doing some intentional deep thinking about is, is important. So, you know, I, I ran into that myself so when i took over my team uh retros were kind of seen as just a formality and mm -hmm. i think the way that i really drove those forward i made sure that anything that came out of retro a was documented so we could come back to it in the future and mm -hmm. i would i'd go back to it every three months or every quarter uh, but number or but you know secondly there i made sure that anything that was talked on in retro had an action phase and if i didn't have an action phase i would bring it up to the group in a message or a slack message and say well you know we haven't touched on this this was brought up in retro is this something that we still want to look at and by doing that you know i i tried to establish that safety like everything you say here that is something that we're going to look at whether it's trivial whether it's something i agree with or not it doesn't matter mm -hmm. that's not for me to say 
it's for you to lead the group in because that's honestly what's going to net us the best benefit because at the end of the day a decision that's made by the group is going to be something that people are going to want to work towards more than a decision that's made by you the manager so mm -hmm. by putting that power within that group's hands you know that you're going to have a better outcome one way or another so um, yeah, I, I think retros are, are vital to any team building exercise or just for any team to to continue to iterate and, and to grow. So, yeah, love that. Yeah, it's I uh, yeah, it takes it takes principle or not principle, but it takes like intentional and like um, dedication to that. You know, oftentimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull one action item out of here and like do that. And, or if I'm lucky one, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like ultimately showing action out of feedback is, is a really like tight feedback loop for, for earning trust. Can't yeah. agree with that more. I wish yeah. I was a little more disciplined about it. I mean, it just becomes kind of a transparency thing too, because they're the ones mm -hmm. making the action. I mean, you're very transparent. It's what you're doing because they're the ones saying it and, Ultimately, for me, there were some things that they came up with that I didn't know if they would work. And, you know, there were some things that they came up with that didn't. But at the same time, do I push back and kill that sense of, you know, them moving the, the needle just because I don't think that ultimately it's going to be a good solution? And I never was willing to do that. I would rather have two weeks worth of nonsense than to kind of you know disestablish that trust or to kind of push back against that forum for them to really move forward and you know there were some ideas that came out of there that i thought were you know wild and harebrained and <laughs> they were really not bad they they worked out pretty well so i mean you're, you're not the end all the be all right you're you're there to grow just as much as they are so yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. i love it that's the whole point of this Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess out of all this, uh, with those three hats that you were talking about, what, what did you kind of learn from all of this or what was the ultimate outcome, uh, to, sure. to kind of what you took from this? Yeah. The, you know, the, to kind of, to kind of like take up a couple levels or talk from the 10,000 foot, uh, view as like, a, it's it's a reality. Like I've I've since that experience, I've interviewed at at two different places, and I've talked about that power dynamic as an intentional part part of my interview. So I've either worked it into an answer to a question that I was asked, or I would follow up with it as an as a question that I would ask at the end, and that would be specifically, "Hey, how do you handle these three different roles within a team?" Because the reality is, right now, the majority of engineering teams are modeled around the the two pizza team concept mm -hmm. and a lot of teams are also around agile. So like, those are the, those are the kind of the, 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 the parameters of the game is the fact that you're constrained on the, the size of your team. And so like, you know, having the luxury of having an engineering manager, a separate scrum master and a, a separate product owner who's or product manager, who's part of the scrum cadence is a luxury that is in reality, not, not, present in most teams so sure. like and i've seen that again like the like i was saying in those those two positions that i've i've interviewed at um where it's like it's been a point of follow-up where it's like yeah is this is this a showstopper if it's not separated and uh, you know it's it never has been it's just it's 
it's a reality where you have to come up with like strategies, like the, I call them compensatory strategies, right? Where you like, you have to do something else to make up for the, the for the deficiency of the situation. Um, yeah. So, you know, ultimately I think, uh, like acknowledging that this is a constraint we're engineers. What can we do to, to find creative solutions around it uh, or to work within it? And then, you know, being open about it, talking about it, acknowledging it as a thing that goes a long way. Um, and then just doing some of the little things like turning on anonymous mode in, in, um, retros, sure. um, acknowledging the fact that there's Slack channels that I'm not going to be in, you know, or whatever it is, like just, just do the little things and, you know, the, stack those up. And pretty soon you have a, a high performing team with a high level of safety. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you joining me today and uh, kind of speaking through some of this stuff with me and uh, we'll have to get back together to talk about some of this other, uh, <laughs> other stuff that we didn't get to today. So, uh, but thank you again. You're welcome. It's a, a pleasure and keep, keep on writing, keep on producing it. It's, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit off air, but uh, I really respect what you're doing here. So, you know, besides the transparency, the vulnerability, the fact that you're, uh, you know, putting thoughts down, organizing thoughts and, and, you know, putting it out there for the world to read is, uh, it's a pretty brave thing. And, uh, I wish you well. Hey, thank you, Mike. All right. Have a good night.